once again into the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Paretos. This is episode 36. As we always like to do, we always give you a gentle reminder to rate, review, share, download this podcast. It helps us develop a following and yes, all the data so we can improve what we provide you on a weekly basis. This week in the business end, I will be joined by tactical manager Filippo Silva, who runs a very good YouTube page, which is growing a new fan base for U.S. soccer and the U.S. men's national team. We'll discuss the old fan base versus the new fan base. We'll discuss how to cover the U.S. men's national team, how to push for change, and where things are getting lost in translation. And yes, the old adage, Euro versus MLS. It was a great conversation. I recorded already. We went a little bit longer, so stoppage time. We'll wait for next week, but we have a lot to talk about. So, hey, enough of my yapping. Let's get started. We are back, and there is a lot to talk about, and we're going to get back to the old format here soon on the Soccer OG where we talk about what happened over the weekend. A lot of big things obviously happened. Bayern Munich looking as impressive as always as they just demolished Bayer Leverkusen. Manchester United, problems brewing there as uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's team lose to Leicester City 4-2. And now they have a big Champions League game here. And I always defended Ole, but uh, uh, he takes another result like this and they fall off the back tire of the leaders in the Premier League. Uh, it could be the end for him there. Jose Mourinho and Roma losing to the Juventus. So there were some big results here, certainly. And what's crazy is the transition time where we went from talking about World Cup qualifiers back to the club. It felt like uh, a flick of your fingers, you know? And that's not good. We need to get these players some sanity because they're just, I mean, Chris Richards, who played for the United States, started for the United States against Costa Rica on a Wednesday night at Columbus. I'm watching Friday Bundesliga, and here he is coming off the bench Friday morning our time uh, to for Hoffenheim. I'm like, wow, he's a young kid. He's used to it, and he, he can handle it, but it's still just insane. Brian Rodriguez of LAFC, the club I work for, he arrived at 1 in the morning Saturday in Los Angeles, he played coming off the bench that day. They all played pretty well, by the way, but we've got to really address this as we move forward. Um, we have some, obviously, a lot of big stories to talk about. We'll get to that. We're also going to have a lot of USA-Mexico content here. I'm going to have some really cool guests coming up to preview the game on November the 12th in Cincinnati. When is it soon enough to preview that game? Well, it's right now. And in fact, I have a USA-Mexico rivalry video up on my YouTube page, Max Bretos, under the Soccer OG there, talking about how it could be the biggest rivalry on the national stage. Arguably, maybe not so arguably. So check that out. Going to be posted here. Uh, and we'll get ready for USA-Mexico. Did want to address a couple of things that happened this weekend in our world. The Newcastle takeover as a Saudi group now owns 80% of the club. Newcastle United fans dancing in the street, wearing Arab hairdresses, headdresses at their game against Tottenham Hotspur. Not really in the best taste, but whatever. They're happy and that's fine because they foresee a team that's going to be competing for the biggest names in the world and dropping crazy money because this Saudi group has the deepest pockets. Uh, there is some stuff under the surface that has been brought up and has to be addressed because 
you know, the U.S. intelligence confirmed this, that a journalist was murdered in the Saudi consulate in 2018. Um, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, apparently, according to this intelligence, uh, greenlit this assassination and this murder, I should say. I don't want to use the wrong word here. I, I don't know the right terminology, but obviously it's a pretty macabre situation to be discussing. And there's some human rights issues through the roof as well with this Saudi group. But, you know, we, we're, we're, how do we police this when we already have these ownerships at places like PSG and Manchester City with these very deep? And even Chelsea, you know, you look at Roman Abramovich's history. It's not when you're talking about this kind of crazy money, it's not going to be all pretty. You know, you don't want to see how the sausages are made, so to speak. But I think it's OK that you can be excited if you're a Newcastle fan. But I still don't want the hypocrisy when there's protests about the purity of the Premier League and on the flip side, you can dance in the streets when a 300 million pound takeover takes place for your club. Okay? It's one or the other, no? So this just... And I saw someone made a comment on my YouTube page saying, you're pulling for the Super League. You're working for the Super League. You want it to happen. I go, no. But I'm just trying to prepare everyone that when you look at the writing on the wall, it's going to happen. No, it's going to happen. So that's something to keep an eye on here in the in the, the years ahead. I, don't, I think it's the, the sound for those leagues is just going to grow. I also wanted to touch on the situation with Mauro Icardi and Wanda Nada. Wanda Nada was married to Maxi Lopez, a soccer player. And Mauro Icardi kind of ripped that family apart. And he got married to Wanda Nada. They've been married since 2014. Obviously, it's an unsavory situation. He doesn't owe anything to Maxi Lopez, but uh, he uh, he had a, a fallout. And now Wanda Nada also was his agent. So she had something, and she's big on social media. She's a, a giant in Argentina. And by the way, I'm, do, I'm reading the story, and my wife walks by the computer, and there's all these photos of her in bikinis, Wanda Nada. And my wife's like, research, really? I go, absolutely, this is research. But it's just, if, you, if you pull up a, an article on this, you'll see photos of her uh, everywhere. And you can see why Mauro Icardi, uh, <laughs> who's worth so much money, went that direction and uh, they made a bond. So she said, you wrecked a family. So apparently she, he, he wrecked a family with, with her original family. And then now she's worried about her family being wrecked by um, what Mauro Icardi doing when he supposedly cheated on her. So it's just a mess. I'm reading about this. And at the end of the day, uh, Mauro Icardi has a post where they've, they've, they've cleared it all up and they're back on the page. And I just felt like a fool that I got into it. It really feels like these two de de deserve each other. So don't break up any families anymore. Don't crap where you eat. <laughs> Try and do your best with regards to that. But it's uh, obviously an uh, un unfortunate situation. You know, Mauro Icardi, I, never, I just never... I, He's one of those players that drive me crazy. He's a good forward. He makes so much money. But when you see him, he doesn't work hard. He's just, I'm a forward. I'm standing here. I'm not going to come back to the midfield. He's never been a great player at these guys. He was good at Inter, but Inter, were, you know, they're not missing him. And they made a, a mint off of him. And now he's at PSG. He's not going to play a lot when all things are clicking. But he wants to be there. I don't know. It's just a, it's the weirdest personality for this to happen to. And now I've lost a lot of hours reading about it. And I've lost some, you've lost some of it too. So he's a home wrecker. She's a home wrecker, but they have overlooked that. And now they're back together. And well, there you go. 
We're going to get to the uh, interview now on the business end with Tactical Manager. This is the Soccer OG. We appreciate your support. Please rate, review, subscribe, download. Welcome back here to the Soccer OG and... Uh, Really, a, a guest I was looking forward to talking and reached out to him about joining me here. And we're both in the YouTube space. And when I started doing soccer videos there, eventually, immediately, I should say, it was pivoted towards the videos of tactical managers. We we're talking about similar things. So I watch his stuff all the time. Uh, we agree on things. We disagree on some other things. And we'll discuss that here. Without further ado, Filippo Silva, tactical manager. And you and Philippe, I'm looking at you now. This is just the audio tracks. Handsome guy. He does his YouTube. Look, great smile. You got a face for TV, my friend. No, no, no. Okay, now you're just overhyping me like the English media does to their players. Now you took it too far, Max. But I can't, I can't, I can't wait for us to disagree and agree as well. But I want to, I'm I'm looking forward to disagreeing as well. Yes, we disagree, but part of why I also wanted to bringing Filippo is something that I noticed with the American soccer fan base. And we'll talk about it here shortly. We're always looking for soccer, football, football, football to get a bigger piece of the pie in the U S and I remember worked at ESPN. And we just want a little bit of it in a highlighter on a sports center. We never got it. And we're always fighting for those little scraps and it's like safeties in numbers. And I've realized the amount of people watching the sport is much bigger then we're given credit for it's just I it's a little splintered. Would you say that because we have a, you are, are involved with this new young fan base that we clearly the soccer media currently I don't think we talk to them enough. We also have an English and a Spanish fan base. It's splintered all over the place, and I think if you put it together, it's a powerful, it's a powerful uh, group. But we're not at this point. But maybe with conversations like this, we could find those common threads and we can become that powerful group. So when we show up at the table, we get a bigger plate. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think what, what it has to do as well is maybe the new contract with MLS, things like that. I think we have enough of a fan base soccer in the United States to deserve more coverage on mainstream media. That's what I think right now. I think it is underrepresented in the mainstream media and that definitely plays a negative role for soccer and it makes it seem like it's smaller than it actually is. And it, we're seeing also the success of the national team. I think all of that is driving more interest and more and more and more along with the big, the main event, right? 2026. Absolutely. And, but you, you, you know, because you have your, your YouTube tactical manager, if you haven't checked it out, a very sophisticated production you guys put together. I've seen it been growing, but it's a, it's an, it's a smart fan base. Sometimes it's a bit of a crazy fan base that we deal with, but I don't, I don't know if we're doing uh, overall, historically, have done a good enough job to really speak uh, honestly with the fans. And I look at other sports and they do, and they don't, they don't simplify things, you know what I mean, or sugarcoat things. They, uh, they experiment a lot with the way they present the sport. In, I mean, I'll, an example is, um, you know, like when they first started covering soccer and World Cup, they would dumb it down a bit with some of the promotional stuff so that they could draw viewers in and they would explain what offside was on a broadcast. I know we've moved away from that, but we're not that far removed. And I think the fan base now is wants 
to be spoken to with that level of sophistication. And uh, I'm ready to do it. And if you're not up to snuff, you will learn along the ways. That's how other sports are covered. I think how soccer is. So I'm glad we're moving there, but we're not there yet. But you're you're helping think, that process as well. And all the guys I, like with Pete on the, on YouTube, we're helping that process so that we can get there soon enough and it'll be an elite major food group sport. Yeah, I think what you mean is a lot of, um, without putting out names, right? A lot of the guys in the media, girls, everyone representing the media soccer, sometimes just the way I say it, and, and sorry, the terms I use sometimes, sometimes they're very soft, the takes, right? Uh, because maybe someone doesn't want to lose a press pass maybe because someone is friends with one of the players and sometimes they'll take I think yes there's certain criticism that goes too far I do think sometimes it's a little too harsh when people personally attack a player call them actual certain names it's taking too far but I, I a lot of the times the criticism the fans want is we're seeing something's not going right we're seeing something wrong and these these guys in the media that are the experts are sugarcoating it or not actually so a lot i felt like a lot of the fans didn't feel heard or or there was no yep. voice for them and i think when you talk about for example me or pete specifically uh we just became of the voice of a part of the fan base that wasn't really represented in the media right i've seen a change in 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 the media overall personally i don't see when you commentate lafc games because i don't watch lafc games but even here in Orlando, when you're, I see you're, affi Miguel, you're affiliated with Orlando City, you, you do some stuff with them. Yeah, I do some. I work as one of the youth coach in the Orlando City Soccer School at Celebration. So I do coach um, kids, mostly U12, most of the kids. And I also have my own soccer company here for after school. So I'm heavily involved with soccer. But even uh, Miguel, when he comments for Orlando, I like I like him as a commentator. But sometimes because you're hired by the club, you might be holding back. Um, you might not want to like, oh, my God, I'm seeing this, that it's horrible, but I can't say it. So I think that and I don't know if that happens to you. That's something maybe you can say as well, which um, you can sometimes. OK, I need to hold back on this criticism here because it's my employer at the end of the day. Yeah. But and I don't know how that affects or not. That's something you can even you're probably better to talk about. Well, I, and I do. And, you know, LFC pays it. So I am I am very. You can be critical, but you've got to, there's got to be a limit to it. And it, there, you've got to find creative ways to do it because you don't, it's, I always view it as a product. You know, you, you want fans to be engaged, but the fans, you know, the fans see it. If the team is struggling and LAFC has been struggling and they're out for blood, you still have to, you know, protect the team because they are paying, paying, paying you to call these games. So that is certainly the case, but to your point about the national team, and I'll be, I'll be honest. I, I was very, I was timid at times to be very uh, to voice my opinion about that because of those reasons, because, you know, you will, you would get like a, a comment or you'd be approached in one of these meetings. Hey, you got a your take here. And they'll say that's incorrect. You should have. This is what happened. That's the reason this happened. And, you know, they will take you to task with those things. But I think you're also absolutely right that we have to overcome that. And U.S. soccer. Look, it is flawed. It's. The product, obviously, the women's game is exceeded, except that some of the, the, the off the field issues that they're dealing with. But on the men's side, it always feels like we haven't reached those levels. And if you look at, you know, I've had a chance to travel and go see the Italian Soccer Federation or the English or the Scottish, and you're blown away with the 
the how elaborate it is and all the, the staff and inner workings and U.S. soccer does it on a very small scale. And I always want it to be bigger. You want more checks and balances. You don't really probably get that as much. And there is probably risk of kind of, you know, being viewed poorly by them with your take. So I, I would imagine the way, I mean, you're very critical. I want to say you're you know, very, you're critical of Greg Berhalter and, and some of the, you know, some of the, the how U.S. soccer does. We don't voice that enough. We should, but it's, I, I always wonder, the one thing I'd like to do if I was critical is offer an a alternative as to what they should do as opposed to just being critical and say, all right, you got to do this, this, let's try this. Let's bring someone in like this. So this we, or whatever it might be so that we could get uh, a better, uh, a better system because it is, it's got a lot of issues. I don't, part of me also, I'm reluctant to do it because I don't think there's going to be a lot of change, but maybe one day if there's pressure, there'll be change in the way they do their business. I hope so, because I think they change is slow, Max. Yes. Change is slow. So it's slowly criticizing and obviously complimenting as well when something is right. So people know they're doing the right thing, but it's all slow. If we believe it's not going to change, it really won't never change. But if every time we do a little bit, it will slowly change. The thing is the problem with part of the media, and then this doesn't even go to MLS commentators or even MLS actually, this is not even towards MLS, it's more towards the Federation because at the end of the day, MLS has to defend MLS. I think MLS does a good job in regards to MLS and that's what they should do. The job of MLS is not to grow soccer in the United States. Will they help? Yes, they'll help, but that's not their job. That's the US Soccer Federation's job. So the thing with the US Soccer Federation is very often we've seen the Greg's press conferences, right? The questions are not, I don't want to put Greg on the spot, but you can question him a little better, right? Um, there's a lot of journalists that they're very, so Greg, can you explain why did you play this player X there? It was kind of off. The midfield didn't seem balanced. There was a hole. Why did you take so long to change? What were you thinking? And all that, along with the fact that I don't, I'm not going to get into it, but the problem with Greg and the criticism and why we hold him to a, I wouldn't even say a higher standard, why we're more critical of him or more, maybe the word would be even, why do we pick on him more? It goes back to how he was hired, right? There's a lot of questions there. Sure. And that probably makes the fan base, anything he does wrong, we're going to make it worse because of that, because there was never an explanation. I used to say this, that the U.S. Soccer Federation works in some very shady ways that we don't understand. It's nothing's clear, doesn't explain. Elections are weird. Everything's yes. weird. So it makes the fan base confused and angry. And, and, and we're like, do we have a voice? What are you guys doing? Can you guys explain it to us? That is the main issue that I see. And the media doesn't do its job in regards to that, right? Just go, yeah. Greg, please. I think that's fair. I, 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 and it's... Uh... I remember when I was, uh, I covered the U.S. team. This was ahead of the 2002 World Cup, I believe. And they played Italy in Sicily. And I was working at Fox. And they sent me down there. It was incredible. So I, I just absorbed it all in. And then I was, Giovanni Trapattoni was the coach of Italy at the time. And I went into his press conference. And the first two questions, because they, they played USA and it was 1-1. The first two questions, they just ripped him a new one. And they, they were way out of line. But I was like, it was refreshing because it's such a big, I mean, he was this, this, inter, this uh, journalist was screaming at the top of his lungs. If I didn't know better, I thought he might've been drinking. He's like, ah, da, 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 da. 
And then Trapattoni kind of yells at that. And I go, you know, that's the discourse you'd like, even though this journalist and my Italian was rudimentary, was probably way off base and he came in way too hot. It was it was a, a, a window into how the rest of the world looks at the sport and how you want the U.S. to be to feel that way and the intensity and the pressure of these positions. And I I, I wasn't a Greg Berhalter we didn't got hired. I, I, Greg's had an incredible career as a player and also as, as a manager. Uh, he's put his time in. I, I was actually watching the USA-Mexico game from the O2 World Cup, and I saw him. We had a great game. I rewatched it recently because I'm getting we're all getting hyped for USA-Mexico here in November. It wasn't my choice. I didn't like the – and obviously you probably I, – I think you've shared this as well. Tata Martino was there, and I go, here's the guy. This is a guy who's taken the team to the quarterfinals of the World Cup. He coached Barcelona. He's here in our backyard. He's a gift. Better in MLS, too. Yes. Better in MLS. And he, and he put that. He's a, he was a perfect candidate. So when they didn't hire him, and he obviously went to Mexico, I was I didn't get it. And I heard he needs to speak English. And I go, that's not good enough reason. Uh, is not a bad at the time, I'm, I, and again, I give him, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I think he's done a good job. There's always room for improvement. Obviously, these last two games, we've seen some issues that we can talk about, uh, including the seven changes for Panama that I think was universally uh, uh, disliked by even the media took him to task. We saw a little bit more than usual, but I think he's a good choice. But I didn't like the fact that Tata Martino and the reasons we were given came to came to view. And that's. Kind of, that is a reflection of U.S. soccer that maybe they are not going. They're not going about beyond their their boundaries to try and get the best possible coach. But they they washed it away because he doesn't speak English. I didn't like that, uh, and it was a bit short sighted. It wasn't a bit. It was short sighted from U.S. soccer. I didn't like it. But now I have Greg Berhalter, and we'll see. Maybe we come about and they change their policy. But I think that's a very valid point about how U.S. soccer does these hirings and why this guy's hired and why someone else isn't. So, Max, just add to what you said, I like to draw parallels with Brazil, not comparing U.S. soccer to Brazil because Brazil is in a different level in that sense. But, uh, for example, 2006, Brazil fails in the World Cup with one of the best teams of all time, right, with Ronaldinho, Phenomenon, Adriano, Kaká, all in the same team. Those are three Ballon d'Or winners in the same team, and they fall to France from Zinedine Zidane. And Brazil, after the World Cup, hires Dunga, Dunga had never been a coach before. I'm not joking. He hadn't been a coach before. At least he was, not, a, he was a coach on the field. That's how, that's how they probably yeah. spun it. He's like, he was like a coach on the field. Uh, so that was, was the excuse. Yeah. But the thing with Brazil was the media questioned it till the last second, till he was fired after 20. They were always saying 2010, I'm sorry, when we lost the World Cup. Why did we hire this guy? This is the national team. He needs to show what he can do in the club level and transition. Now, in regards to Greg, yeah, we can talk about criticism. I see when it comes to results, I see positives in results, right? We're qualifying to the World Cup, which is what we want. We won Gold Cup, which is what we want. We won Nations League, which is what we want. So, yeah, results, uh, there's, there's, that's just facts, right? We can't even question him in regards to that right now um, if that's the goal. But the problem with Greg is a lot of these wins, for example, during the summer, we didn't outplay any opponent besides Martinique besides Martinique <laughs> no I'm not joking I'm not joking well, no, no, I, I just I, I just I, I'm, I'm almost laughing because I'm, I'm glad we did that but no but I, I I think it's I think it's a fair I think maybe that he didn't get enough credit in some of these games but it, it was far from convincing but I go ahead and I'll just yeah. follow up 
Yeah, he, he definitely gets credit for the result. There's Because no one can even argue with that, right? We've got the trophy. What else do you want? But sometimes I get the vibes from Greg that he coaches the national team as, it's, as if it's a club. And there's a big difference, right? When you're in the national team, the key to success, and many coaches have said this, and I've talked to coaches that coach the youth level national teams, Brazil coach Neymar, used to play soccer with me here, Nate Franco. And they always say the key in the national team level is simplicity, keeping it simple, because you don't have enough time with the players that you have in the club level where you can develop better tactics, set plays, everything. Greg doesn't have that time with the players, right? It's very limited the amount of time he has with the players. And now with, with these tight windows of three games, he barely has any time, to be fair with him. So he has to keep it simple, right? He has to play players more in positions and roles that they're comfortable with in the national, in their club level to the national team. And, and then it goes to the seven changes. I saw a lot of people criticizing Greg for the seven changes, which I loved seeing the media for once being going after. Greg. It's like, why did you do this? But they didn't say one key point, Max. There was one key point. Wait, you're saying make. that what? they said they, they didn't like the seven changes, but they didn't say they, they yeah. didn't give you an alternative. Yes. No, no, no. The alternative. There were alternatives. What the key point they didn't mention is this. He made seven changes to face Panama, which we all were against. We all agreed on that. But they didn't talk about one thing. He changes seven players in a starting 11, right? Seven field players, because we're not even going to count the goalkeeper. He's not going to – he changed it later. But, but he kept the same exact tactics, formation, and roles for the players with different players. They're players that are completely different, right? And we could even later on get into the discussion of Leggett regardless – but Leggett plays a different role. He plays in the final third, and then he's playing deep. It also doesn't work. And I'm not defending Leggett just to start right here. Yeah, look at you. You're bit... smiling. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, you you wanted to say something nice about Leggett. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not saying nice. I'm just trying to make a point of, like, sometimes we criticize the player. But the coach puts all these players in the same role he did with the team that worked against Jamaica as if every single player will adjust to that system, regardless. No one talked about that. And, and what's the alternative to that? Greg, when you change the players, you do a formation and put them in similar roles that they play for their clubs. An example, if you want to look at an example of success, the Euro 2020. Look at what Mancini did to Italy. That team was definitely not the most star-heavy team. It was a good team, very good players, fantastic players, but not the most stacked, right? Look at where the players played in their club the season before. Look how he set up the team. They were they were the same. They played a similar exactly. role. Exactly. With the U.S., it's – I mean, they, I think he made a mistake there. I also think he made a mistake with benching Matt Turner in this third game. These are the two ones that I thought of, and I saw Hercules tweet something, but I mentioned it on my the Soccer OG on YouTube as well. Don't create problems you don't need. I, I'd love to see Zach Steffen be the number one. He has the talent to certainly be one. And he fits what Greg Berhalter wants to do. But Turner was good. He was good enough. He had a bad game in Panama, but so did everyone else. I mean, it was just, it was, I also believe that even without, if it wasn't seven changes. I think it would have probably been a bad result for the U.S. because they just didn't have, he didn't have the oomph. They didn't have that tenacity. They didn't push back. And that's also on Greg. Because you have to be ready. They look completely unprepared. They look deer in headlights in many times, which was very frustrating. But he's caused a problem now with this as well. And uh, to me, it's it's a tough job. I also would think, I, I think Greg can take the criticism if it's brought uh, by the media. 
I mean, he's a big, he's a big boy. He's done it. He's got thick skin. So I don't, I'm not gonna say he'd welcome it, but he'll be ready for it and he can handle himself. But it's, there's a couple things that I get, I, I was worried about. Uh, even the, even the game against Costa Rica, there was, it, it, they got the result, but there were just combinations that didn't work. And there were, there's moments where there was gaps and, and so forth. And we, I, I think we're pretty fortunate we got out of there with the result we did. Uh, but that's okay. You have some good luck, but I just need him to minimize those things, but that it's a high pressure situation, but he has to minimize those decisions that there's always this adage, like coaches of, I'm not going to do what the media tells me to do. We get that, but sometimes everyone's aligned on it, you know, and it's, it makes them think. It makes common, them yeah. Think yeah. So I want to ask you a question here. So this is why I've been so critical of Greg as well. Good teams. Usually when, when you see them play in, do you watch the which league do you watch in Europe, for example, Premier League? Do you follow the Premier League? I watch the Premier League. Um, I'll watch. I'll watch a couple games from the La Liga weekend. I try, and at least one from the city. I just I try to put a lot on the plate, and I wish you was so, calling the games. You don't get to call them up, but you. I. I it's. The, so let's talk about the Premier League. Let's okay. talk about the Premier League. When you and I'm going to refer to a few teams, right? Um, and obviously there's good coaches and bad coaches. There's, there could be coaches in the Premier League worse than Greg. It's not because the coach is in the Premier League that he's better than Greg, right? There's bad coaches everywhere, good coaches everywhere. But when I see, for example, Liverpool play, I know exactly what their style of play, the system is, that high-intensity press, the, the, the center forward that comes outside, the wingers pinch in. And the fullbacks overlap. Yes, you know exactly what they do. When they do, the fullbacks go overlap behind the, the wingbacks. When you see Chelsea, that 3-4-2-1, compact on defense, forces to the sides, press, counter, false nine at times. Now with Lukaku, they change a little bit. You know what they're playing. The U.S. men's national team, Greg has been in charge. He took over in 2019. I know um, COVID definitely put him back a little bit, right? 2020 was a lost year, essentially, for, for Greg in regards to his work with the U.S. men's national team. But he had 2019. He had, towards the end of 2020, he restarted. And he had 2021 the entire year by now, right? We're already mid-October. I don't know what the system is for the United States. I watch every game. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think the game against Costa Rica was close to what he wants to do. And we saw that with the, the wingers coming across. I think that is, and it wasn't a clean effort, but I think that is what he is trying to do. Certainly with the front three, certainly with the fullbacks. I wish it was the same away and home. And I know we get caught in this CONCACAF thing. And I, I would like to say, hey, it's not a big deal. You've got to do well. But everyone struggles. Mexico struggles. So it's something we have we have to deal with right now and just accept in many ways. Hopefully one day we, we get away, but I think that game against Costa Rica and it was uh, Costa Rica was bad, but it allowed him, I think to do that. So I think it's getting closer, but I think to your point, the inconsistency and home and away is, is, is also a big issue and something has to be spoken about and maybe you can defend the U S team. But I think the Costa Rica game was closer to what I think he wanted to do. We need to see it more than once. Sure. Right. Because, Absolutely. But because we we've been throughout Greg's time in the U.S. men's national team, we see like these flashes that like one game we do well, or one half we do well and then it's a disaster. So 
until we see, let's say, us play like we played Costa Rica, let's say three games in a row, like, okay, it seems like there's a system being implemented here. He's found some pieces. It seems like he also struggles with the player selection, right? So let's talk real quickly without criticizing and complimenting Legette. Legette is a player that's more of a conserve the possession, right? Takes less risk, hold the ball, slow the tempo. And then you have dual eights like Weston and Musa that are always like hyping, go forward, forward, progress, forward, risk, risk, lose possession. And it seems like Greg knows his system requires eights that can progress the ball forward. That's what it looked like, right? We saw that against yeah. Costa Rica. We saw it against Jamaica too. Um, yeah. That you need players like that. And that's the frustrating part because you want to at least see them try that in Panama or El Salvador or mm-hmm. Honduras. And they only had one good half in those three games. So you, you, even though it's a different situation and you have to play, to, I, I, would, I am all for seeing the same style, same players, home and away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the thing was that he, against Panama, he wanted to slow down the game. He wanted to go for, he essentially wanted to go for a draw. Let's be honest. He wanted to get a draw if he could win. But to be honest, he was okay with the draw, which it wouldn't have been a disaster if yeah. we had a draw here. But I think that's what happens is his system requires certain players and he still persists on a specific player. It's like if you're going to play that system with other players that you want, you're going to have to change the playing style, right? It's not going to work with them. OK, they're going to look like crap and people are going to complain about them and it's going to make them look worse than they are. OK, and you mix that with a fan base that's still angry about Cuba. <laughs> There's so many people that are still angry about Cuba, including myself. And you mix all of that with Greg's selection, the way it was. And then and then some of the players that are abroad, like um, Joe Skyly not being called up, Conrad being left out. There's a lot of frustration, right, because what we say is. The, the thing is, for me, uh, can these young guys get us to Qatar? My opinion, my ignorant opinion, because I'm not the coach, is I think these young guys can get us to Qatar. They'll struggle, but I think they can. Can they You're do saying it throw, them, throw them in the deep end of the pool here in qualifying. Yeah, and I think it's they risk. might, but, I, it, but it, I could, it could come off the rails. That's my fear when you're dealing with 18 and 19-year-old kids because I think every manager – I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think every manager yeah. – is will lean into experience. Do we have great experienced players? No. Uh, and that goes back to missing the, the Olympics and the World Cup, that missing generation in between. But there are some guys that are 24, 25, well, let's say 25 to 28. And it's that group. Uh, many are MLS-based uh, players uh, that I think you still have to lean in. I, I, I'd just be so nervous if they said, all right, let's go. Scally, you're the starting right back. Musa, Weya, uh, Chris Richards. He did it against Costa Rica. Yeah. He did it against Costa Rica. It did. But I, there was, it was messy. And but that, I think it that's was. a good example. And maybe he felt the pressure, but I saw that. And I, I keep thinking of the Brian Ruiz play, whereas the Miles Robinson, who's been playing along, and Chris Richards, just not on the same wavelength. And Ruiz goes in there, and he just didn't have the legs. So there's a case yeah. of not playing an experienced player. That's, but, but that's a different thing. story. But you got to, so these young guys, so Miles and Chris Richards, they've never played together before. Now they have. There's this thing in soccer, which as you play together, you two bond more. You learn each other's strength, weaknesses, communication. You build chemistry. So the only way to get that is these guys playing. And I think, for example, Miles and Chris Richards, which I love John Brooks, but if that's our dual center backs, I'm comfortable with those two. They've been fantastic. I love both of them. And 
they need to play together. They need to understand what each other's weaknesses, communicate better. And yes, the Brian Ruiz, if Brian Ruiz was five years younger, that was a goal. Someone goes, someone told me, he goes, if that's Joel Campbell who couldn't play, we'd be in trouble. Yes. <laughs> we'd be in trouble. So I think yeah, that's because he would have been in that position, you know, in all likelihood, if that's the case. And I'll, I'll say this about the kids. And what, for, I will call them that for lack of a better expression, because it's an incredible development. We almost don't deserve this to have one after another, after another, going to Europe, performing in Europe uh, all over. And we'll talk about Americans abroad and the, and the work that's being done to alert these, the, the audience here in the United States about them. If, when we make the World Cup, I would say, let the kids go. We're not going to win the World Cup, but let them have that tournament. But in Agreed. qualifying, I'm worried because it, if you have a couple bad days and they had one in Panama, and if, if very well, if they played the, the Costa Rica 11 down there, it could have been a similar, I would imagine it would have been a similar situation. Maybe not. I don't know. I just worry about giving them the keys to the car for qualifying because we absolutely positively cannot miss this world cup. But I think we're safe now. We still have to so, finish the job, but we can't miss it because it would just decimate the sport. So I can understand leaning into some of those experienced guys. Yeah. The, the thing with kids sometimes, and again, we're calling them kids because yeah. they're even younger than me. So I'm going to, I, oh, I can't call them. How, kids. how old are you? I'm 27 now, so they're. Filippo, you're off to a man. You're off to a great start in this industry, and I'd be if I forget to say it, it it's great to see someone who's a self-starter, and getting that stuff done, and and showing your passion, and 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 obviously someone who knows the sport well. So I just want to say that you're doing great, and I'm glad you're out there. Thank you very much, Max. Again, <laughs> thank you again. But these, so these, all the young, the kids. The thing with kids, and I've noticed this with teams for all time, and, and if we talk about South American soccer, we see this with Santos a lot in Brazil, right? You get these young kids that they love from the Meninos da Vila there. Kids, they're, they, they, when they're playing 20-year-olds, 18, they're like super hot or super cold. So against Panama, maybe if we scored first and it was a team of kids, it would have been 4-0. They would have ran over Panama. But if Panama scored first, it could have been 4-0 Panama. It could have been a disaster. That can happen. The one thing that caught my attention, though, was – one of the most underrated aspects of our win against Costa Rica, it was the fact that we allowed a sloppy early goal, which shouldn't have been allowed, and we did, but the kids remained composed. It seemed like they were under control. The most, they're like, no, we got this. Let's continue to play our game, and we're, let's not panic. And we continue to control. And I was, so I do the live watch alongs for the games, right? And people see when I'm nervous, I'm angry. I was watching the game, and we were down, and I was saying, guys, I'm still... I'm still confident. The, the team is looking good. It's look, it looks like it didn't affect them. They're still imposing themselves on the opponent. We're still controlling the match. It could have been better. We shouldn't have made that mistake. But I was feeling something with that team that I didn't feel in many other games, especially Gold Cup. Gold Cup, I was freaking out every game. It was panic mode again. Qatar, that first half against Qatar, I was going crazy. It's like, just get the ball out of there. Yeah. But I, I felt something with those, those players, the young players that I haven't seen in a while. I was like, okay, we're down. But we got this, guys. Let's keep playing our game. We got this. And we got the win. Um, so big credit to the players. That that was the average age of that team, if I'm not mistaken, was like 22, the average age. We're going to have a young team. It's just the question is how young. And it could probably get younger than 22, quite frankly. Yeah. So uh, and I would also say if you're gonna if you're going to fall behind, fall behind in the opening minute. So they obviously had a lot of game to fix it. But I, I can't take that away. I think that's a good observation that they figure things out. 
Um, it was a, it was a wild ride, obviously, till the very end, but they figured it out. I mean, even in Costa Rica was, I was hoping on the flip side, I was hoping they put the hammer down, you know, and they got up and then it's four one. And that was part of the, it's a good result. We need it. Boy, it could have gotten a lot worse down a goal after the Panama result, but I think they could have, I think they left stuff on the table and that's, that's fine because this is, again, it's a young kid, but a, a young squad, but I wish they they killed off that game because it's it takes so much pressure off everyone. But this is a step. This could be that step so to the next thing. And to your point also, it's good that they got this game. There's no more three-game windows until March. And now the guys that needed some experience, Richards, Busio, um, uh, Musa, Weya, got, those, got something under their belt. And there's a lot to be said about that. So I, I think actually the the camp in January to February I think it's three. It's is it? like end of I think is it's it three qualifiers? Yeah, I think it's three. okay. So there's only the only two November's two. two. Yeah, everything else is three. Everything else is three. But the the one thing I wanted to say as well about the veterans when someone brings up the veterans, uh, just just to disagree one thing I think it's different what veteran are you bringing, right? And I'm not talking about quality. I'm talking about a veteran with a voice. So our veterans today are essentially Legette, Acosta, Paul Riola is a veteran as well. Walker Zimmerman is a veteran. Uh, I guess those would be the main ones, right? Zardes. Zardes is also a veteran. Uh, Reem as well. Tim Reem. Tim Reem as well. Okay. So I think there's a difference between, actually, Tim Reem actually does have a long history, but it's different when the veteran you're bringing is maybe an old Clint Dempsey or an old Donovan, right? If Clint Dempsey goes and talks to these kids, they're going to listen. It's Clint Dempsey. It's Landon Donovan. It's Tim Howard. Now, I don't know how much of a voice these specific veterans have over Tyler Adams, Pulisic, Reina. Um, that's my question. And this is me speculating because I'm not there in the locker room. So maybe they do. Uh, yeah. I don't know. There's no, there's no evidence that they disrespect them. It's just a question of who's the actual leader there. Well, you would like you would like to see in a game for all of us to see a, a veteran kind of, you know, maybe it's cliche. Grab the grab them by the collar. And go. What do you do? You go and, and be physical and do those things so we could see it. I, and I, to your point, I haven't seen that. Uh, maybe they're doing it in different ways, but I haven't seen that. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I'm asking because you do understand what I mean by by it's different when it's Clint yeah. Dempsey or Donovan. These guys that well, we have don't, so many We don't have that. We don't have that option uh, at this point. Anywhere. Maybe the closest would be still playing, but we can't bring it to national. It would be like Josie and Bradley, right? But we can't have them there right but now. That's what I tell people. Like, oh, you want to give the, 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 the younger players the keys to the car. And I think Burhalter kind of met middle ground is I'm going to bring in these guys like the, the, the list, Jossie, Ariola, Legette. And I won't bring in Josie and Bradley because those are big personalities. And he, he, he may think that they have to get their, the ring kissed for lack of a better expression where they're, uh, and I've always seen national teams when they keep the veterans a little bit too long, right? It always ends badly. It always ends badly when, and they miss a world cup or like when Italy, for instance, when they did that, when they missed the world cup, they had Buffon mm -hmm. and Pirlo hanging around. I go, you got to sever that line and let the, because the younger generation is always going to bow down to the old guard. Uh, it's just, it's a cyclical thing because they're there. So sometimes it's better to not have them there uh, so that these younger players can develop without having to worry about, Hey, Josie's here. Um, he should wear the captain's armband. He should, you know, and then they don't have to worry about that. So 
it's kind of, it's a it's a middle ground I think Berhalter's settled on. Has it worked? Eh, not really. But I think these guys have had their moments in many spots. We forgot veteran Roldan too. I well, I, I was gonna say I was gonna mention that, but because he's not Roldan and Ariola still kind of on the younger side, but they are veterans. Let's. Well, been look, I, I can't believe we've already been here. We we could, I, I feel we could talk about this for five six hours, but we can't do that. We're gonna try and keep it so you guys can make. If you're listening to this podcast, you could drive into work. But let's talk about that group. And I'm there's a let's just say the MLS guys. So we can forget. We won't include Reem on this. So it's legit Acosta. Ariola, Jossie, Roldan, those five guys. And I, I, there's this MLS bias, and I know you hear about it all the time, and I think you have spelled it out pretty pretty clearly. And I see it on some of the, the comments I get in YouTube where it's so binary, where they're like, no, 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 we want the European guys. That's it. It's black and white. We are the European. We don't. MLS is this. It's this scarlet letter. Keep it away from us. And I, you know, I work for the league, but I know the league's improved and it's a good league. I think the league is better than some of these smaller European leagues that some of these Americans are going to like, I like, for instance, Brendan Aronson, he didn't dominate MLS the way, and Grant, he's a little bit older that he's one of the five or six best players in the Austrian league when I've seen it and based on his, his minutes, his numbers. So MLS uh, I see it getting punched around and I'm not saying this is from you, but I, it, I, uh, I don't think it should be so black and white. And I think I saw you, uh, you did have a tweet where you said you you'll have MLS if it's players under a certain age, but there's some guys that kind of slip through the cracks. Granted, if you're really talented American, you're going to end up in Europe. If you're talented, uh, look at Joe Scally, who wasn't really as heralded. And now he's starting for Bruce Mönchengladbach because the scouting is so good. But there are some guys that slip through the cracks that I, I think are good. And I and these players, those five guys, they all kind of do a job that I like. So like the verticality with Ariola, and I know after the Jamaica game, I, I defended him because I thought he did the job. He was a he was ripping upfield, upfield, making space. Is he a dynamic technical player? No, but he can do that. Jossie can hold up, although Jossie's been a bit of a disappointment. I stood up for him. I don't think he's really, although he had some nice minutes in Costa Rica, obviously a rough one against Panama. Uh, legit, I, legit was, man, he was a baller a few years ago. And I, I defend him because, uh, and it's hard because he's a Galaxy guy and I'm LFC and his window is closing. There's no doubt about it. He may be, he made the 2022 qualifiers. He may not called in, but I think he's an important person in that stretch. So I, I, I think the, I guess the point I'm trying to make is just the vitriol I wish wouldn't come out so much and, people would look a little closer and say, all right, I know he's an MLS player, but don't rule him out because he's an MLS player. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, 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 the first thing it's not about European or MLS players. Uh, and it and shouldn't be go right away. Yeah. It shouldn't be. And it, it, it shouldn't be. And I don't think it is because for example, I don't think anyone is against Ricardo Pepe starting. That's an MLS center forward. Uh, or but not or, for much or, longer. <laughs> oh yeah. He, he'll probably, well, he could stay. I'm trying to, under yeah. I'm trying to um, think Matt of a good Ryan. example. I mean, Ariola is uh, a, a European player. He went to went to Swansea and he got injured. Who knows if that changed well, differently? Well, I followed him on Swansea. He was starting to there, but he was healthy. They just didn't play him. Jordan Morris was starting to play, um, and Ariola wasn't. And then they just let him go. I don't know if it had anything to do with those tweets as well. I don't know what was going on. I think no, they had. He had. It was reported he had an injury, and it had ended. And then obviously Morris had a really serious injury. 
Yeah, and then the one success story was Daryl DK, who could be, you know, he's still a young player, but he's a guy that looks like he could do well in Europe, but maybe stays at MLS. So I think, Max, I think it depends. For each player, it's a different situation, right? It depends on the position they play. It depends on who we have. And then that's where fans will build their argument, right? And then the whole relationship of some with the U.S. Soccer Federation and MLS drives conspiracy theories, some to be a little true, some to not be true. That is the problem. It, it goes back to how the Federation does. They allow this to happen with all the things they do, right? And then there, there's definitely, there's one thing to leave clear, just for everyone listening here. There's absolutely no way there's a contract that tells Greg that he has to call X amount of MLS players. That doesn't exist. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's what's going to bring that up because people yeah. are running with yeah. that and then they're putting, I go, no, they, and to, I was like, I, I did the homework as well when I, I looked at the 2010 team and I think there were uh, in the, whatever, the, the round of 16 game, there's like three MLS base players, if that that played on that 2010 team. So that if you look at the numbers, it will support that. That is not the case that there is some but, sort of paperwork out there, but there's definitely no paperwork or there's no way someone's going to Greg and say, you're bringing this guy in period. That's not happening. But do I believe there could be some pressure? Maybe that can, that can exist. Do I believe Greg could have an MLS bias himself ingrained in him because he's an MLS guy. He was a coach. Could have, yeah, when we're coaches and when you have teams, you create biases based on where you are, playing style, things like that. So I do believe all of that does happen. And then obviously people sometimes can take it too far, uh, but I do believe that can happen. And there is a little bit of a bias at times, especially on certain players he persisted. Well, most well, coaches would have, I mean, most coaches have their favorites. They will. Yeah, so they'll yeah, go, I know, he, I know him and he'll always call him in. And it happens and there's players that aren't, like you said, the Italian team was a, a sum of its parts. There's guys like, you know, Spinazzola, who's now really taking a next step as a, a fullback. I don't think people really rated him beforehand, but that was a guy that he liked. He felt comfortable with Mancini. And I, I don't want to use it, but there's throughout the, the years of management, they'll always have their guys that they kind of lean into. Yeah, they'll always have a bias. Whether the it's their is, best option, it probably isn't, but that's you. I and I, the comfort level, and I give the coach the benefit of the doubt when they say, look, if, if, if it makes you feel comfortable, call them in. And if we look at Greg's selections, the thing is, a lot of the U.S. soccer fans, U.S. men's national team fans, don't. not all of them, MLS is not their favorite league for all of them. If we're going to be honest here in the U.S., most of the favorite leagues here in the U.S. are Bundesliga, Premier League. Um, rightfully so, because these are the top leagues of the world. Yeah, in quality, you see Kevin De Bruyne, Lukaku. These are the players you want to watch more. And you have American superstars that are doing amazing, like, you want to know how Gio Reyna is going to do this weekend. You want to know how Christian Pulisic is going to perform in the Champions League. Weston. So, yeah, they watch it there. So, naturally, when they see an MLS guy, which is a league that is growing, it's 27 or 26 years old, while these leagues are over 100 years old. Uh, not joking. Some of them are over 100 years old. Yep. And and th then play, people start to believe there's a bias. And then when we see all these players, too, it depends on the position they play. So when you bring in – so a, a player many people had problem doesn't play in MLS. Many had problem with him bringing Shaq Moore that's playing La Liga 2 and struggling to get minutes, by the way, because I cover him weekly. So I, I see how it's going and not bring Joe Scali. So people had problem with that, and that's not an MLS guy, right? Tim Ream. Tim Ream is often very picked upon, and he's not an MLS guy. Uh, he plays for Fulham in the champion, actually playing every game, starting every game. 
So I don't think it's more of an MLS. The thing is, a lot of the accounts also on Twitter, and I'm not going to say names because some of them are probably your friends or they know you. <laughs> they do a bad job. They do a job of rattling that up. They do it on purpose, and that causes a lot of problems. They'll go. I think, well, I think that's because they're getting they're hearing it on social media and we shouldn't jump to anything because someone tweets something or someone leaves a comment on a YouTube page. We really shouldn't jump to that, but that's, I guess, part of the issue. I mean, and it's not, it's not you or me, but there's the fan base riles it up and they go to the lowest common denominator and go, no, great examples about uh, Shaq Moore and, and Tim Ream, but it's, it's sometimes so cut and dry. And I think we all as a fan base have to get over that Look at the look at the whole platform. No one is asking for Haji Wright over Jesse's artist, for example. Right. I'm not asking that if if he calls Haji Wright over Jesse's artist, I'll be complaining. Uh, No one's asking for that. No one's asking for uh, the the thing is, it's not about European. It's just that people I think the soccer fan in the U.S. is every time that goes on, the soccer fans, you're more and more knowledgeable. And I think it reached the point where there's so many knowledgeable soccer fans and anyone that's knowledgeable in soccer has different opinions, right? And some of them right, some of them wrong. We don't know who's right or wrong. And people are tired of certain players being called over others. Like the Paul Riola, the main issue of Ariola was us seeing a Barcelona La Masia promising player, academy player that went to Olympique Marseille is playing in the French league, sometimes good, sometimes bad. He's having ups and downs, Conrad, but we see the talent and then you leave him out and then Poriola is there. That's one of the reasons people rolled on that hasn't been pro- as productive as he is for the Sounders. When he's with the national team, he hasn't been the rolled on for that's, the Sounders. That's fair. And I, but, but sometimes you got to base that off the clubs. I agree with you. I'd love to see more of that rolled on from the club side. I, I think, but Greg's done a, a, when I look at the form of the players, and yes, let's let's keep that core veteran guys out because he's going to go lean into them because they make him feel comfortable. But the guys that struggled from September to October didn't get called in. Josh Sargent, who I was like, man, he's not scoring. He's in a really bad shit. He's a, he's a bad club. Do you want to bring him in? And he didn't. And I was like, good. And then we could, but he brought in Matthew Hoppy, who on form maybe shouldn't have gone in. We're just going based on his talent. Uh, with regard, Jordan Pifak was and Joe Scali are the two outliers of that. And I thought they on form should have both got in. Those are the two aberrations, but generally he has given those guys that have, over that stretch have performed. Conrad kind of, I, I was disappointed with him in September and his output with Marseille has dropped and he should get another shot. And it's tough for a young player to go. And then the rug is pulled and it was pulled, but I was like, when he wasn't called in and go, I'm okay with it. And I mean, I know, and that's when I saw the R Ariola stuff and I go, Ariola doing good at DC United, but that coupled with his Burhalter has a vision of what he can do and he can execute it. And we saw that in the Jamaica game, but I think it's okay to be frustrated. And it isn't a, a fan base that knows about it, about these players, but with some of the guys, that did, once he, the form comes into view, and again, the PFOC and Scally were both misses on his part. Scally in particular, because PFOC may not fit, I think, in the, the as well as we would like in that situation, in that system. But if I see a longer list of those kind of uh, questionable call-ups, then I'll be concerned. But I think he's been close to spot on, inconsistent, and 
practicing what he preaches. Yes, uh, there's obviously there's the thing is when you make the roster there, there's players that are just unanimous, right? We know they have to be there. And some of them MLS players like uh, there's obviously going to be a debate between Turner and Stefan, but I don't think that's a Euro versus MLS debate. It's more of Turner's not good with his feet. Stefan, honestly, wasn't that good either, to be fair, but is better than Turner with his feet. Turner's a better shot stopper. There's a discussion. There's nothing European or anything. The thing with, for example, Legette, he was the one that many people, well, before Legette, many picked on Jackson Yule, rightfully so, I would say. <laughs> and he's, and he's out of the picture now. Yes. And then Legette, the thing of Legette is what I always told people was, what does he do well, right? When in the field, what does he do well? And then what are the options we have as well, right? Because we have Weston and Musa that play in his position. I think Giovanni Reina can slide in there because he has been playing for Dorman as an eight a lot of the time. So he could perform that role and progress the ball very well. Uh, and and Legette's not even an eight, to be fair, right? Legette's more of a more 10. A 10. But, and they haven't really yeah. played him in that position. Uh, it hasn't really and been that won't. pure, which they won't. They won't. I, I know Legette's a talented guy in that position, but if it doesn't fit, that's a different discussion to have. And I think you don't include him. And I, I'll be honest, I think the Legette uh, run is probably coming to an end here. He'll, he'll, I imagine he gets in in November, but I, I always, I always see him as a guy you can get 20, 30 minutes, locker room, this, that, and the other. It's not starting games at this point, although he did start the Panama game. But it's, it is a, it, he might be benefiting just because he is that older guy and the guys that are still cooking their game. Uh, the guys you mentioned, McKinney and uh, Adams and Musa, McKinney and Musa in particular. So I don't really see that on the field that he has that aura of a veteran player, but do you, do you just, know why people, do you know why people started picking on the a little bit more? Is it the back passing and, and no, the, it's all on Greg. So November camp. If we go back November, October 2020, uh, Josh Sargent wasn't able to go because of travel restrictions. And it was an international camp, right? But LA Galaxy were out of the picture with the MLS. Was it MLS's back or was it the playoffs? I don't remember now. I think it was November would have been uh, the playoffs. Playoffs, the playoffs. So LA Galaxy were out because of the bad season they had. And then he calls in legit. Ah, yes, yes. And, okay, yep. And then people were already kind of like, okay, this was an international camp. The MLS guys, they have their camp in January. So this was a chance for you to bring. But okay, you brought him in. He not only brings legit, he started legit as a false nine that game. Almost as if he was like, I got my guys, but I need a forced legit lineup. And that's what happens when you have a coach like this. All of a sudden, people will pick on that player more than ever. Sometimes rightfully so, like Jackson Yule, sometimes over-exaggerated. And, and then it, it adds to a fact that me and a lot of the other fans don't think Legette should be in the national team as well. Not saying that he's a terrible player, it's just we think we have better options. You add all of that, plus that October, November camp, which I don't remember the exact date, that's what you get. So a lot of it is with the management of Greg, right? And we complain. So we talked about this the other day, how um, I don't have a problem with this, but MLS players have a slight advantage because they have that January, December camp that European players usually don't have. So Greg can see them and a coach seeing up close. It's completely different, right? Cause then you increase your odds of getting called up. And even a lot of the players that were in the January camp ended in the Olympic qualifying because Greg, maybe Jason Christ was there as well. They all saw it together. So that camp was for the international players to get a chance for Greg to see them. 
And then you have players like, for example, that in the past have been heavily criticized, rightfully so, Julian Green, that got no caps with Greg, right? Greg doesn't call him, doesn't check. Luca De La Torre, uh, we just saw a little bit more of him, but also didn't get enough chances. And, and De La Torre, when you see him play, am I saying he's the greatest thing of all time? And no, not that, but he seems to fit the way Greg wants the team to play. An eight that can progress the ball, can find the wingers. So that is where we criticize Greg is with that. Now, it de- like I said, it depends on the player. Like Kellen Acosta right now, not my favorite six, but because of the players we've tested, he's the backup to Adams. Yeah. So yeah, he has to be in the roster. Am I a fan of that? Do I think we need a player that's a little bit better on the ball like Tyler? Yeah, but we don't have it. So it is what it is. Legit, I feel like we have better options. Roldan, we have better options. Ariola, I also feel like we have better options. Zardes is the Wait, uh, the Ariola, who who would be the options of a guy that can stretch that out? Because I know Wea came in. He, he he did good. He scored the goal. Um, but it's I don't know if it's I can see why Burhalter has this a vertical player when he's talking about verticality. Because I don't know if there's another guy who can do specific he's a specialist, can do specifically what he does, mm-hmm. where it's just go for it. It's 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 like the energizer bunny. That's it's that's your job. You're doing. I don't know if there's a guy with that pace that we have right now. So that's so why you, I like you, I like Ariola around. So you change the way your team plays because this is the problem True. with Greg. He'll play Ariola there because he does that. He stretches the back line, makes those hard runs. But who's the starter there? We know who the starter is. It's Giovanni Reina. Giovanni Reina doesn't do any of that. He's the complete opposite of that, if anything. Reyna drifts middle to create, almost like an attacking midfielder, and Ariola is a true right winger. So whose problem is it? It's Greg. Greg needs to figure that out because who's the starter there? It's Reyna, right? I don't think he's going to start Ari- – if, if, if Reyna is healthy, I don't think he starts Ariola over Reyna. No, no. No but chance. Not yeah, so – if it's Reyna, Reyna doesn't do what Pariola does in regards to running and the work rate, even though I don't think Reyna has a work rate problem, but he doesn't do those runs. So what is Greg thinking? What is but Reyna's also, like about? you said, a hybrid where he can come back and do things. So I understand what you're saying, and it's it makes sense, and it's probably a good way to live. And when you use the Italian example about how they play, it makes a lot of sense. I think I, I could give him a little benefit of doubt to – to try horses for courses in certain cases because of the desperation of World Cup qualifiers and maybe not be so steadfast on the way you want to play. Uh, I would like it if he played the consistent way all the time. I really would. Uh, if, if all the pieces fall into place, but it's also the, there's so many, it's, it's crazy, Philippe, because there's so many factors and the inexperience, uh, all of that kind of comes into view as well. Not that Ariel could make a huge mistake. He certainly could. Um, but there's the variables are insane, but I think I, I could give him a pass if it's not apples to apples in certain positions without a, a featured guy there. Yeah. It, the, it all comes down to this too. When we look at the, that, that's the reason why I think I, I always say this, I think experience is very important, but sometimes it, it becomes an excuse because when we go to our camp against Canada, for example, the two players that made a mistake on the Canadian goal were Yedlin, man, that guy's experienced. And John Brooks, also very experienced, even been in a World Cup before, and they made the mistakes, right? The two experienced guys. The John Brooks s- situation is crazy how it's kind of, <laughs> how it just kind of yeah. torpedoed a little bit out of nowhere. 
I still think he's our best center back if you go on paper, right? But he still has to perform as our best center back, which he hasn't. But I still think quality, what he does in Wolfsburg, he's a top quality center back. And maybe a guy who doesn't quite fit in the Berhalter system either. Sort of. Could be. Uh, Could be. I, we barely scratched the sur- surface, uh, Philippe. I try to keep it like an hour. We've already done that, but we may have to pick this up again. But <laughs> I was—I have a long list of things. I think I went through three bullet points before we got into too much. But I guess that's the premise of why I want to do this podcast, where we can have a real football conversation. And you—you you are certainly always up for it. Always, always. I love it. I, I didn't even see the time go by. It, it's almost <laughs> like it was the same thing when we had Herc at the channel. We yeah. recorded 30 minutes on one, 30 minutes on a channel. It was an hour and I didn't even notice. Like, okay. Yeah. I carried Herc in our podcast at ESPN. So I know what that's all about. You probably did the same thing, that guy. Uh, but uh, it, it's, um, I, I want to talk about the fan base. We'll maybe save it for another day, but it's just, just having those communications. And I, I'm listening. You know, as you get older, you say, this is the way I think. I want to learn things. And for the young fan base, if we sit down, if you see me on the street, you want to talk, I want to hear about this because we're all in this together and we all want the same thing. And sometimes our conversations get a bit blurred. Sometimes we say things we don't mean and we look down and we don't have those. I want to have them. And this and folks like you've made me see that over the last few months. So let's do it. Have a conversation uh, with anyone, reach out to someone. Let's do it so we can, uh, close the gaps here with our, our very our ever-growing fan base. Yeah, and again, uh, you go you go to any nation that soccer is the number one sport, people agree and disagree, and that's the beauty of it. It's fun. These discussions are fun at the end of the day. That's what it is. People need to be less angry, and we need to enjoy these conversations more and, and get angry on a, on a fun way, if that makes any yeah. sense. Get angry scream and then have a beer afterwards with the person you just argued with and move on from that tactical manager check him out on youtube does a fantastic job with u.s men's national team and so many other things filippo silva hey filippo appreciate you uh carving out some time and i know doing it on a sunday so thanks a lot we'll do this again thank you very much max uh filippo silva tactical manager we'll be back with stoppage time here on the soccer og As I pointed out earlier, there will be no stoppage time this week as we went a little bit long with the interview, which I was expecting with Filippo. He's a good dude. Check out his content on Tactical Manager on YouTube. Uh, Really good, well thought of, and I'm glad he's engaging that younger audience. We need them. We need the younger audience, and they're a savvy group. So not all of them. They got to learn. They got to study a little bit more, just like the older audience, but we're getting there. Again, check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under Max Bretos. We're going to be previewing the USA-Mexico rivalry, and I will join you next week. A lot of USA-Mexico stuff coming your way. As always, thanks for spending your time with me, and as I always like to sign off, Placido Domingo.